Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Since I don't know the story, I have to tell you and confess to you that, that I would always prefer not to read scripts and even not to hear stories and look at cue cards and so on and wait for the moment of discovery with the audience of the film itself. So I'm as surprised as they are, when I, so, and I know where to put the surprise button, you know, having not been prepared by a script. And of course, during the first film, I, and I think our colleagues working in the film, had no idea that there was going to be a second film, let alone a third or fourth. So I'm waiting anxiously, like the audience around the world, to find out what the surprises are and discover what my continuing role is going to be. Episode 207 of Full of Sith. I'm your host, Brian Young. Unfortunately, Mike Pilot couldn't be with us tonight. He uh, had some other obligations he had to attend, attend to, but we've got some uh, some great surprises for you. First, we've got Holly with us, as usual. Yeah, not a surprise. Not a surprise. And uh, But we're joined by uh, David W. Collins, uh, who every Star Wars fan should know that name. Uh, David, thanks for, for joining us. Thanks for having me. And, and Holly, I'm surprised. I'm yes. Surprised, you know, so because we're meeting for the first time on the podcast. Right. So that's exciting, you know. It is. Soon me- you will know that I'm a monster. <laughs> wow. Well, now I'm terrified. But see, we get to know each other while talking about Star Wars. So that's, that's never a bad thing. Perfection. So, uh, David, obviously, you're, you're a very busy person in the world of Star Wars. And really really soon you're going to be hosting a stage at celebration right yeah yeah hosting the galaxy stage at celebration whatever the number in orlando (laughs) and uh this is uh i'm realizing this is my 10th year uh not i don't know if it's my 10th time but 10 years ago i hosted celebration for the first time in uh, 2007 in in los angeles were you there for that either that was the first and only celebration held in north america that i missed Oh, you missed that one. I missed that one too. That oh. was I feel so bad about having missed it. That was the like it's seriously the only one I had to work that weekend and it was awful and I was I was working freelance producing a documentary and, and uh I couldn't go and it, it was heartbreaking to me. Well, of all the celebrations, I mean that I that wasn't a bad celebration. It was great and we uh had some real um had some real landmarks. We, the first time anyone saw any footage from the Clone Wars, and that's when I first met Dave Filoni. Dave, who? Like I, I, you know, I didn't know who he was before that, and watched him turn into a star over a weekend. You know, but there was no movie at the time, and it was the first first time that there was no movie at a Star Wars celebration. So at the time, it was kind of an odd one, I guess. But it was the 30th anniversary of New Hope, which was cool. But um, nowadays, celebration is just. I mean, there's just an insane amount of content. Every panel is packed with new stuff, and, and they've gotten much... Uh, there's just way too much to see nowadays. Like there, back in 2007, you could see almost everything in four days. Um, in that 10 years of being a host on a stage, what would you, what would you pinpoint as maybe one of those like pinch-me moments that you've, uh, you've been able to help oversee or usher to an audience? Um. Oh gosh, there's been a, there's been quite a few. I would say um, I would say doing the George, sorry, doing the Star Wars: The Clone Wars season three. Was it three or five? It was five. I was there in the front row. George Lucas. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know where you're going. Yeah. Okay. So, the thing about that panel is that by that time, I that was my third celebration with Dave and and Joel Aaron um, and talking about the Clone Wars. And by that time, they just said, well, you don't need to see this stuff in advance. We don't have to talk about it in advance because the first year we did it, 
Um, I went up to Big Rock Ranch, which is where Lucasfilm Animation was headquartered at the time in 2007. And we talked and talked and talked and went over every single question and went over this entire rundown of what we were going to do and say. No one had seen the show. Everyone was nervous. By 2012, they were like, uh, you know, we'll see, you'll just see it. Just, you know, ask whatever questions you want. It's fine. That's that, a really good felony. It's really good. <laughs> that's basically all he did. He was just like, uh, uh, it's fine. We'll figure it And so <laughs> I was seeing clips for the first time in the panel. And he's like, just ask us whatever you want to ask us. It's, it'll be great. And I said, okay. But the thing that I knew was that George Lucas was backstage watching and so I just felt very, very nervous about that whole thing because I knew towards the end he w- I was going to leave. And at, at, for, at first I was excited because I thought I'd be up there with him. But, you know, uh, George doesn't really know me and I've met him maybe twice in my life. Um, and so, you know, I, I stepped down just so he could talk to Dave and Joel and, because they work together every week. Um, and... You know, he's I'm like, he's sitting in my chair. But no, knowing that he was backstage while I did all of that. And then afterwards, uh, Lynn Hale brought him over to me and said, this is David. I, I think you've met. But yeah, he was a pa- panel host. And he said, ah, you did a great job. Sounded rehearsed. And I thought, <laughs> first of all, he never compliments anyone. But second of all, wow, he saw right through me because he knew it wasn't. <laughs> that was um, I, You know, doing the, the radio dramas are, are really fun. You know, those were. Yeah, getting to act with Dee Baker and Tom Kane and and my buddy Sam and and all of that, and I feel like that's the kind of stuff that leads to, uh, you know, it's it's actually a funny story. I mean, uh, doing that radio drama, uh, Tom Kane was, you know, I, I changed agents because Tom uh, hooked me up with his agent, who he invited and was sitting in the audience, and uh, because I was there with Matt Wood, I I think that all of that is why I you know, got invited uh, to be in Force Awakens and Rogue One as a voice actor because um, I got to do some things at Celebration and finally you know, break out of the... I used to sound design at LucasArts and now, no, I have a voice acting career in Los Angeles. Like, let's, let's do this, you know? Um, that was a pinch me moment. Anytime I'm on stage with, uh, with a Star Wars cast member or anything like, well, you do that all the time, Brian. You, you Occasionally. To people. I mean, probably. I think you've done more. You've done more than I have. So I should be asking you. I mean, how many times did you interview Carrie Fisher, for example? Just once, which was the most bizarre experience, um, because it was like you've got twelve minutes, make it not suck. And and I have you. I mean, have had you gotten the the chance to interview Carrie at all for anything? Yes. Yes, and maybe you've told your story on on your show before, but I'd love to hear. I, and I can tell you about mine because that's another one of those pinch me moments, but not without weirdness. So trying cool. to trying to like have a conversation with her is like hurting cats almost because you'll you'll set something up for her and then she's just going to go in whatever direction she wants. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the best part of it was before the, the show started, I'm back there backstage with her. I introduce myself. I'm Brian Young. I'm going to be asking the questions. Uh you know, I'm I'm really excited about this. I think it's going to be great. She's just like, yeah, uh, hold on. And she turns around, and there's Gary sitting there. She's like, okay, Gary, we're going to go out there and do that. You stay here. We're leaving. You stay here. And she does this three or four times to Gary. Then she comes out, and she's like, okay, I'm ready. I need a Diet Coke. Right. And... <laughs> No one has a Diet Coke for her. So we go up, we get on stage, and the clock is ticking because we've only got like 12, 15 minutes on the stage. And just as I'm about to ask the first question, she gets up with the microphone and goes, does anyone have a Coke? They don't have a Coke for me. And someone from the crowd brings the Coke up, and she kneels down on stage and just open mouth kisses this guy. (laughs) I think I've heard this story before, actually. This is starting to sound familiar, unless this is a pattern. No, well, maybe it is a pattern. I don't know. But it was just like, how do I, how do I keep that together as someone who's supposed to be asking questions? Like, for one, nothing I ask is going to be as interesting as that. Like, nothing. <laughs> so what was it like um, uh, shooting on the Death Star? Yeah. <laughs> it just happened. I know. Like, you just open mouth kissed a, a fan. Like, what? how does that... How does that work? And my, like, I tried to talk to her. I wanted to talk to her about her, her polish work on the prequels, right? Because that's that's something I've never heard her talk about. 
Oh my god, that's fascinating. And I ask her this question about it, and then she goes into this long answer about how she wrote the episode of Young Indiana Jones where she she took Indy Indy's uh, virginity with Mata Hari that she wrote, and it was just like, okay, if that's what we're going to talk about, that's equally fascinating to me. But that's that's crazy. <laughs> Mine's not nearly that good. No, you you win. I I can't. It's not a competition. It's well, void of open mouth kissing is what you're telling us. Yeah, it's basically that's you. Ju- that's the version of well, <laughs> what, what did I just walk into? No, uh, no. But I was uh, I was uh, <laughs> hosting the the 30th anniversary of Return of the Jedi press conference at Celebration in Germany. So Celebration Europe too is 2013, and I had at one point I had on stage. Uh, Mark Carey, Peter Mayhew, uh, Warwick Davis, Jeremy Bullock, Ian McDiarmid, and Anthony Daniels, and and it was just like this nice um, uh, photo op for people. Thirty year anniversary, the cast reassembles for Return of the Jedi. But before I had all them on stage, it started with Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher, and and um, you know I got to meet Mark just briefly, and that was for the first time I'd never met him before uh, backstage. You know, but everyone's jet lagged. It's really hot, like, and it's hot in the convention center, so it's kind of like sticky and just, uh, you know. And the Force—it wasn't the Force Awakens. Episode seven had just been announced. You know what? Just several months before the Disney merger or acquisition had just happened a few months before. I couldn't ask them about any of that stuff. And of course, you've got this entire European press uh, group outside in the audience. That's all they want to hear about. But all I can talk about is the 30th anniversary of Return of the Jedi. And it was just like, it was just painful. And I had like a small list of approved questions. I mean, everyone said it was great, but you know, you're always your, your, your own worst. Critic. Oh, yeah. So I, I asked Mark Hamill a little bit about Celebration and his time in Germany back when he was shooting, uh, you know, um, the, you know the, the classic trilogy. And he answers a few of those. And I'm hoping that he's going to do that Mark Hamill thing where he just kind of goes. Yeah. But I mean, he didn't. He was just like, yeah, so. And I was out of approved questions in under five minutes. And uh, to both, and I didn't get a chance to meet Carrie Fisher. So, out of my mouth falls the wor- worst question you can ever ask those two, which is, "Did you ever think thirty? Ah! Oh, that, and I, I can hear myself say it in slow motion. And and my subtext was, let me, let me, let me cast my mind back. I think it was, no, yeah, no, let me see, yeah, no. Why am I asking this stupid question? Did you ever think? And Carrie Fisher cuts me off. She goes, "I did, I did think, and you know what? I thought that's sad." Like, and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's openly mocking me in front of these people. Good. Because that was a stupid question. You know, she's like, yeah, I thought, I thought in, in 1983, I'm going to be on stage in Germany in 30 years talking about, and I thought, how sad. <laughs> Just was like, this woman handed me my butt. Yeah. No, my first question to her, because again, it was like, this was after they shot Force Awakens, but before even a trailer had come out. Oh. And. So, like, there was nothing, and, and they were very specific, like, you can't ask Force Awakens questions, but that's all the, I, there's 5,000 people in the audience, and they know she shot this movie. So, my first question was, how much can you not tell us about Force Awakens? <laughs> and she just started going, like, well, Harrison broke his leg, and uh, we did it, and uh, what was the next question? Or something, I don't know, like, I, I've only listened to it once since it happened, and I just critiqued how awful I did. Yeah. I know. It's hard. I mean, how do you, how do you compete with, you know, almost 40 years of people asking these questions? It's just so hard. Like, and then on the other side of that, I, I, having done, and I actually saw you, and I wanted to say, on full of Sith, I loved your tie at oh. <laughs> the Rogue One premiere. I know I've said this to you before, but, you know, everyone's all Rogue one out, and there you are wearing a Phantom Menace tie keeping it real keeping your prequel love out there shining in front of everyone i was like hey nice tie um i got that a lot actually i'm glad yeah i I, one of the ushers actually at the uh at the theater was like i really like your tie man and i was like (laughs) oh thanks uh i was expecting people to give me more crap about it and she goes if anybody gives you crap about it you send them to me and i'll kick them out oh that's nice great oh good someone at pantages had your back sorry hold on he had a prequel bouncer. That's the best. Yeah, they're uh, out in the wild. 
So I have to wonder, David, you have gotten to do so many really fantastically cool interviews and have so many great moments at things like Celebration. Is there anything you just long to happen or to do that has not come up yet? I want to interview John Williams. That's a big one. That's Somebody's got to make that happen at some point. I, right? I just, yeah, I just I want to interview John Williams. And I, I think a lot about John Williams because of, of um, just how important... I mean, I mean, he's 85 and he's still going and he's he's probably, I think, one of the most he's not underrated to say that he's underrated is silly. But like you can't overstate his importance to not just Star Wars, but all the stuff that we love. And like I, I, I worry that, you know, a proper, you know, I want to I want a biography of John Williams. I can't find it. You know, like a real one, you can find like AFI retrospectives and stuff. I want documentaries. I want interviews. I want to, you know, I want to hear everything that that man has to say right now. You know, um, that's a big one. I've always wanted to go uh, on set. I've never been on set. Um, I've been in, you know, on the mix stages or studios or scoring stages, you know, on the post-production side, but never during principal photography. Um, but the premieres were great. I mean, I, I, I was going to say the exact opposite of, of, you know, interviewing someone like Mark Carey, who's done it for a long time, is the enthusiasm of the new cast members, you know, in a premiere setting. They're just like, it is some of the most fun, some of the most fun interviews I've ever done. Like my Ben, Ben Mendelsohn interview, uh, I got to interview, um, uh, uh, who else? Uh, Cassian Andor. Oh my gosh, my brain is leaving. Diego Luna. Diego Luna. So I got to interview Diego Luna um, at uh, the El Capitan in Hollywood. I got to interview Michael Giacchino a couple times. Um, those are such fun interviews because they have the same energy that we do, which is oh my oh my god, I can't believe I'm working on Star Wars, or I can't believe I'm talking about Star Wars in my career. So, um, but John Williams, I guess, is the obvious one. Um, uh, ben Burt was a huge one for me because that was, uh, as a sound person, I, I really loved getting to know him through my interviews with him. And um, I don't know. I, I'll, if I think of more, Holly, I'll let you know. But I, those are the top ones that come to mind. So, um, I mean, you got to be, your voice got to be in a couple of Star Wars movies. Um, and I'm wondering what, what that experience was like, like how you get to be in that group of people who are doing voices and are you watching and seeing stuff before everyone else or are they just saying like hey say this line and you have no idea what the context is uh yeah those are yeah those are great questions and i'll let me i'll I'll break it down first of all how i got to be involved is i think a really really kind of long twisted road you know i mean i think it it starts all the way back from working with uh matthew wood recording him as general grievous for battlefront 2 you know 12 years ago i i think it takes a long time to kind of, um, I, I don't know, work your way into into that circle. There's so many uh, talented voice actors and so many people out there that that uh, know Star Wars really well. But um, I think you know, um, we just got to the point where uh, I had been doing Celebration enough. I had worked with Matthew enough. I had I had uh, worked with other voice actors enough, and had started getting to a point in my career where I'd done a few things where. I just got an email saying, hey, we have a movie that will be forcefully awakening uh, next December or December. It was like early October. What are you guys doing later this month? Do you want to come and do some voices in it? And I just, I mean, I, I just danced around the house for like a solid 30 minutes, you know. Um, and I said, absolutely. And, and uh, so I went, uh, went down to the, to the Fox lot. Ironically, the movie was doing post-production at Fox because the Fox studio is closer to Bad Robot than than disney um so we were down at the fox lot drove down there and it's a giant room you know with a big movie screen in front of you and a who's who of voice actors walks in first of all almost the entire clone wars cast uh walks in you know um tom kane and james arnold taylor and matt lanter and cat Tabor. i'm there uh sam Whitwer. i wasn't in the clone wars uh sam Whitwer, uh of course was there um you know a lot of uh a lot of great actors or people that are guested on the show and there were probably about 25 of us there. And the, the Force Awakens print was in black and white with no sound, with just like words all over it. Property of Lucasfilm and time code and do not distribute and all that kind of stuff. So we could kind of see what was going on, but we basically watched the majority of the movie um, that day. And a lot of it is scripted, but a lot of it is improvised. That's the crazy thing. I remember sitting 
having lunch with uh, Tom and James, and he was and Tom was going, "This is the biggest one of the biggest movies of all time, and we're just making stuff up, and it's going in." <laughs> and sure enough, I mean, there's whole scenes in there. I mean, you know, the all, that whole gag with uh, you hear about the two seventeens, two seventeens. Yeah, I hear they're quite improvement. Yeah, that's yeah. What, we improvised that whole thing, you know, and and we did a take, and they loved it, and they said, D- you know, do a safety, and that was it, and it's in the movie, and they subtitled it. Like, I, I, <laughs> the subtitles and, I'm, and and I call Sam and I'm like Sam you know I, I just can't I, I can't those are the that's probably the biggest pinch me moment I've ever had is is um, and then going to the premiere and seeing you know my name in the in the movie credit what, lost it so as a Star Wars fan though I guess it's like you got to come in and watch it really late in the process so it had the shape of it there yeah how what, what was that like seeing that for the first time that way versus I mean, ordinarily, you'd have just waited to see it in the theater. Yeah. I had done a really good job of avoiding all spoilers. That's the ironic part. I really was like, you know what? This is the first movie since The Phantom Menace um, where I won't have worked on something having read the script or seen a rough cut of the movie or something. Because in in 2002 and 2005, I was working on tie-in video games. So I had seen Rough Cuts of Revenge of the Sith three times, three and a half times before I saw the movie in in the premiere in the theater at an employee screening in Attack of the Clones I had read the script because I was working on a game called Jedi Starfighter which was a tie-in at the time and uh, this one this time I was going to go in cold and I go in and I see all this stuff although here's the thing that I that I figured out about Matthew Wood is that he he really watches out for other Star Wars fans and he surrounds all he surrounds himself with a loop group of actors that are Star Wars fans because you have to improvise in a Star Wars way. So he wants people's brains constantly thinking about what would make this better. And I think that's why he assembled that group. Everyone had, you know, kind of a, a Star Wars bag of tricks that they could just improvise on the microphone and, and it would make sense. I mean, even when you're on, uh, you know, you're on the base of the resistance in the Eileen system, right? And, and you're just like, uh, we need more R5 units over in Hangar Bay 12. You know, like, you're just saying all this stuff. And, like, it, you'll hear it panned in the surrounds as, you know, as BB-8's running around or something like that. You know, and, and that's the kind of stuff that he wants. But it's not written. He just knows he needs it. Um, so I'm doing all that stuff while I'm trying to take in the fact that I'm seeing something for the first time. And I remember I almost ruined a take when I saw Harrison Ford pick up a bowcaster and and blow somebody away and go, wow. You know, <laughs> I, I went, I went, ooh, like that. And I, I covered my mouth while someone else was doing, um, you know, like death yells of, of uh, you know, of, uh, of one of the uh, Guavian death gang guys or something like that getting eaten um, by a Rathtar. And, I, you know, we're watching all this for the first time and half the Rathtar is done and half of it is like just visual effects or they're running away from nothing, you know. Um, but uh, but it was it was surreal, totally surreal. Uh, How did that experience differ from Rogue One? Rogue One was a lot more relaxed. There were um, we had a first of all the movie was a lot farther along, and I did two days on Rogue One, and there was just so much more to cover. Um, and it was you know we had a color print, we heard the sound. Um, I, I, we just did I just did so much more, you know. And in, in, I think in the Force Awakens I said. Um, Sir, the droid was spotted heading west with a girl, you know. And, and in Rogue One, it was like everything from, let me see your identification, you know, on, on, uh, on Jetta to um, doing all the, all the ADR during the Vader scenes. So, like, a lot of us, you know, when, when he's at the door yelling, help us, that's my voice screaming, help us, you know, um, because the original production sound was, was very noisy and, and a lot of English accents and, you know, um, hey, take it, take it, you know, and so, um, you know, I'm screaming, Steve Bloom is screaming, Sam is screaming, Lex Lang is screaming, um, all kinds of people, you know, that have either done video games or animation or something in Star Wars in the past. Now they've come back into this and um, stormtroopers, uh, rebels, you know, I got to say General Sandula, please report to briefing. That was cool. So some of it was scripted. So we did a day of scripted and like a day of improvised, including that thing on the beach. Where with the T-15s. I just, like, it was great. It was, it was great. I, um, I, hope, uh, I hope beyond all hope I get to do it again someday because those two movies were, were super fun. Okay, so first, now I can blame you because that is the part where I cry every single time I see Rogue One, um, is, is the help us moment. Oh. 
Well, Every just, time. I'm just replacing. I mean, that actor on screen's doing all the work. I just no, but the voice is part of it for me. Like that's part of why it's just it's so plaintive and desperate. And I every time I've seen it, I think I just did my 14th in the theater the other night, and it never fails. Um, but the other thing that I wonder is going through that whole loop group process on each of them. How did that change? Finally, getting to see the movie completed in production, like with an audience. Um, it was, I mean, it's, you're, you're hearing, you're really hearing it for the first time. I mean, you're taking in everything and you don't see the whole movie. You just see the movie where there are a bunch of crowds. So right. I don't, I, I missed a lot of plot points. So I didn't see like any of the beginning of the movie, you know, when, uh, they go and, and try to get come with them. I didn't see any of that. I didn't see any scenes where there were just two people talking. So it was like, oh, that's what's going on. That's what it's like. It's kind of like you get sucked into a movie halfway that you've never seen on TV, and then you have to go find it so you can watch it and figure out what the heck's going on. That's what it's like. (laughs) So does that – do you think it takes away from your experience in the movie when you sit down? Like at the premiere, did you get to watch the movie at the premiere, or were you still just busy working on the red carpet stuff? I did. I did. I snuck in. So you sit down and you're watching this movie kind of wash over you for the first time. Does it throw you out of it at all to hear your voice being that, you know, especially in that that Vader moment, which is hands down the most striking? I, um, you know, well, and first of all, I have to say there's a lot of actors in that scene. And, and so this is a funny thing that happens. The one thing that does throw you out is that so many people's voices are in that that you have to be really careful not to take credit for something you didn't do. And that's why that article at Force, for, on uh, the Force Awakens voices showed up because poor Matt had like 30 paranoid actors going, can you please tell us who did what? Because I keep thinking that's me, but I'm pretty sure he thinks it's him. But I know my voice. Well, I know my voice. You know, that happens a lot because <laughs> you're just so excited to be in Star Wars that that like takes, takes over your, uh, your mind a little bit. That pops you out. But it ultimately, honestly, it doesn't matter. First of all, it's so cool because you're watching a Star Wars movie and the crowd is going nuts. And you're listening to them have the same reaction that you had the first time you saw it, especially that, that Vader scene. You know? And it sounds so much better and it looks so much better. And they've, they've painted out all the wires of the guy flying up on the ceiling and you know, all that kind of stuff that you saw behind the scenes. I mean, the first time I saw Leia, she, had, she was you know, an, an actor with dots all over her face because they hadn't done the, the face replacement yet. Um, so like seeing that in a theater for the first time is a thrill Um, was it the same with Tarkin or did you not get any scenes with Tarkin they didn't let us see a thing with Tarkin I think it was really fascinating when they showed us so they brought us the week before the premiere they brought a whole bunch of press to Skywalker Ranch to show us some footage and they showed us pretty much the first half hour uh, except for they cut out all of the Tarkin bits so it just sort of jumped from the beginning to where it would cut to Tarkin and then to Cassian and Jin on Jeddah. And I, I was like, this seems like a really weird place to cut. I don't know why they do that. And then when we see it in the movie, like I'm like, Oh, they were keeping that a secret. Yeah. That was a huge reveal in the theater and I'd never seen it before. I mean, star Wars is so dense that I feel like even if you've had a lot of the movie spoiled for you, you're not really seeing it in context and you're not really, you're kind of working at the time. And so actually get to sit and watch it for two hours is i mean it's thrilling and i think if anything it kind of helps me get over that kind of that caution that you have as a star wars fan whoa new star wars i don't know i don't know you know like i go more relaxed because i kind of have an idea that it's going to be awesome um i loved i i don't know about you guys i just i loved rogue one so much and the more i saw it the more i just was like this is such a good movie that is so well thought out no i love i rogue one i think is um, I think I, I like Rogue One more than Force Awakens. Um, Me too, and I loved Force Awakens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Rogue One is delicious. I actually had that moment this morning. Every week as we come up to the, the weekend when movie theaters release their schedule for the next week, and I check and I excitedly texted my husband this morning, and I was like, Rogue One, squeak through another week so we still can go see it again. <laughs> you guys going to go? Yeah, we go a couple times a week we have been since it came out for the most part so how, wait, how many times have you seen it in the theater uh 14 or 15 
Oh my god, that's impressive. I've got 12. Holly beat me. I actually beat you for once? Yeah. Well, we did the um, the ultimate ticket that Regal did, where it's like one flat fee up front and you can see it as many times as you want. Um, that. Oh, it's spectacular. They send you an engraved metal ticket and you feel very important, but you also have to train their box office people every time you go because they don't know what to do with it. Um, but it's uh, more than paid for itself, for sure. So we will do it again if they offer it again. Oh, my God. Yeah, I would. I want to go see it again. We. I had an interesting experience where um, I, you know, my son was born in November, and uh, and so at the premiere he was a month old, and they do these mommy and me screenings, and I really wanted my wife to see the movie, you know, because I worked on it and I was so excited about it, and it's Star Wars, and she's a fan, and so we found this screening where it's like eleven o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday, where it's just for parents and newborn kids and they leave the lights kind of on and the sounds kind of down and there's a changing table set up and it's it was surreal i saw rogue one it's the first movie he ever saw with my son while he was sleeping and eating and pooping and the whole thing <laughs> like 300 other babies I, it was the craziest sound too but i mean it, it it was it was it was amazing um but uh yeah that was one of the last times i saw it i think i saw it nine times I think you you both have me beat. It's not a, it's not a competition. I I had someone actually. I was every time I go to see it. Like part of the reason I really love to go see Star Wars movies over and over again is because I always see something new every time I see them. There's always something new to catch, and uh, I was tweeting, you know, hey, I'm going in for time number twelve uh, or whatever, and somebody was like, "Do you think that makes you a better fan that you get to see it more?" And it's just like, no, I'm just tweeting that i'm seeing it because it's awesome like i don't think it's a competition for how much anybody's seeing the movie right uh, i just think it's awesome and want to continue seeing it and it's not me gloating you're just sharing the love yeah. you are you are a professional humble bra- bragger so i mean i've heard that that's <laughs> apparently that's my nickname for from uh, justin bolger i wouldn't know anything about that yeah <laughs> But I say it with love. I'm I'm only razzing you for fun. No, I mean I get it. It's like I have posted a couple times when I'm going again in the last couple weeks, and I've had friends do similar things where they're like, "We know you're going again. Great, you're seeing it the mostest." I'm like, I don't care. I just want to go see. I just want to go see Merrick again, Radis, and hang out on Scarif. Oh, so good. I actually think I like your posts. You call them humble brags, but I'm always impressed when you're you're posting about. I finished writing this much or here's my new novel. And I'm like, God, that's, I mean, if you've got something to say and you're proud of it, just say it. Just, you know, just, you know, share the love. I think it's cool. Um, so I want to ask how, um, how, how different is working on the movies than the video games? So you've done, um, I mean, most recently in star Wars, was it battlefront or, I mean, maybe you've worked on a whole bunch of stuff since then. I've worked on some stuff since then, but, um, uh, Talk about Battlefront, yeah. Um, but how how is the the experience different from going into Battlefront versus Rogue One or Force Awakens? Well, uh, in the case of Star Wars Battlefront, I mean, I, I worked on it for about six weeks as a voice director. I mean, it's I was it was late in the process, and I just got kind of brought on um, because I was available and things were getting kind of nuts. And I was going to do a voice in it anyway. I ended up voicing all the Celestins um, in the game. And then they repurposed it as Nine Numb, which made me so happy. Um, so, <laughs> nice. They, they were like, well, actually, can you direct? Uh, and so I got to direct Moira Morrison as Boba Fett, and I got to direct Misty Lee as Leia, and I got to direct, got to direct you know, a lot of aliens and soldiers. So that was Temir Morrison? Oh, yeah, that was Tem. Yeah. Yeah, he was in L.A., and, uh, and I came into the parking lot, and, and, uh, and I said, hey, Tem. And he's like... We've been doing this together for 10 years. I mean, he was like, he's like, he, he was just so like, you again? Like, <laughs> you'll stop this? I'm like, well, yeah. Because I directed him in the second Battlefront, all those monologues that he did. You know? And it was just by, it was just pure luck that I ended up directing that session. It was like one of those, oh, and we've got Tam on Wednesday. Thursday. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Um, uh, yeah, what, he was great. What's he, what's he like? He seems like he's just like the coolest dude. Like everything is, he's just cool as ice stop me if you've heard this story but i did i ever tell you my my trip to new zealand story for republic commando no 
Okay, well, if, if you, your listeners have heard this, I apologize, but oh, they they can they ask me to retell stories all the time. They'll live with another <laughs> one of yours. Well, he, to answer your question, yeah, he's the cool he's the coolest guy. I mean, I was in my uh, mid twenties when I started on Republic Commando, and and towards the end of the game, um, we had to re-record a lot of stuff because George Lucas had a lot of feedback about you know make the clones different, rewrite this, rewrite that, and. And because George had given very specific feedback on the story, they're like, you know what? Go fly to New Zealand and record him in person instead of doing like a, a phone patch, you know. And so I did. I, 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 I was 27, 28, flew to New Zealand, and I was scared out of my mind because I'm like, I, you know, I, I've never met this person. He's um, Django fed. And I don't know if you've ever seen Once We're Warriors, but, you know, I mean, he's an, an incredibly um, terrifying figure in that movie, which I think is what Robin Gerland saw in order to cast him and Rena Owen. They, they play husband and wife together in that movie. It's a really famous film in New Zealand, and I'm going to New Zealand to record Tamara Morrison. I mean, this guy could just big league me all day, and it could be a nightmare. It was the exact opposite. I think because I was flying there to him and I was on his home turf, I mean, he took me to dinner, and then he's like, you know, he calls me in my hotel room, and he's like, Oh, hey there, brother. Hey, I'm, uh, I was going to go. Uh, I'm just having a washer. You want to go have a feed like that? And I, I was like, what is he saying? <laughs> Food, dinner, dinner. Yeah. Oh, you mean dinner? Yeah, brother. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'd love to uh, have dinner. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll meet down by the water there. Do you need me to pick you up? Uh, sure. Yeah, I'll pick you up. Uh, we'll be there in uh, about around seven o'clock and I'll uh, see you later. Uh, uh, you like rugby? Uh like, well, you know what that is? Uh, you, yeah, it's not like your football. It's not like they wear those pads on their shoulders. They hit hard, bro. They hit hard. There's a party I'll take you to. I was like, what? Yes, yeah, the Vodafone Warriors, not the old blacks. It's a Vodafone. Anyway, I'm going to a party. So it should be fun. You want to come? I was like, sure. <laughs> so I go- <laughs> and then I go to this party where they're talking about, you know, uh, rugby football, cl- you know, rugby club stuff. And I'm having a beer and hanging out at the spread and just hanging out with Tamara Morrison. And then, you know, we go in the studio the next day and he goes, uh, you have a good time last night. I was like, yeah. And he goes, I said, yeah, I'm going to see uh, going to see some theater tonight because in the local theater in Auckland, they were doing a musical version of Whale Rider. Did you ever see that movie? Oh, my goodness. That's uh, the second Queen of Naboo was or the third Queen of Naboo was in that, right? Yeah. Keisha Castle Hughes. Yeah. Yeah. How, how did that translate as a musical? I... I think what they did was they were telling the story and they, it was a lot of uh, like haka and a lot of, a lot of traditional Maori um, music, but also some kind of pop mixed in there. I think they just kind of did like a song score type of thing. I don't think it traveled anywhere. I think it was just local in New Zealand and there were a lot of students in the audience. And anyway, uh, I went to go see it and most of the cast of the movie, with the exception of Keisha Castle Hughes, was in the play. And I was going to tell him, I, I told him, yeah, I'm going. He goes, Oh, that sounds great. Oh, we should go to that too. So he ended up going. And I'm sitting there watching this thing, by the way, which is a whole other story. But, but um, you know, uh, these students stood up at the end during the curtain call and started doing the haka back to the cast. And then they all started, and, they, and it's, it's like the entire audience seemed to know it. And they all started doing it at each other as like a sign of respect. I mean, people were crying. I had the chills. It was crazy. And and Tem's like, oh no, the cast, uh, they're at the bar down the street. You uh, you want to go? Uh, want to go for a drink? And I said, sure. And so I go with him, and and because I'm with Tamara Morris, and he introduces me to all these actors. This is my this is David from uh, Lucasfilm, uh, Lucas Arts, uh, video games, and uh, he's here recording some Star Wars. And I and they all inter- greeted me with the Maori hongi. Do you know what that is? No. So it. it it, they they press their noses and foreheads together. Okay, yeah, no, I as a respectful greeting, you know, or as a very warm greeting, and they all did it to me. And you know, I'm I'm there, and I I have no idea what to do. And like this first guy, you know, does it to me, and I'm I've got my eyes wide open, staring at his like forehead, you know, and I'm like, do I close my eyes? Is that rude? Do I do I open my keep my eyes open? Is that rude? You know, and I do it a couple of times, and he pulls me aside, and he's like, you uh, don't have to keep your eyes open like that, brother. You can. I mean, I just was so <laughs> lost, you guys. I was lost. But he was the nicest dude. He was like, and we got great stuff on that. And that's the, all the stuff that ended up in the game. Those two days of recording, you know, that was, I mean, he did the whole thing. And- I think that's one of my favorite Star Wars games, too. That's a great game. 
Oh, it's so good. I worked on that game for 22 months straight and nothing else. And most of the time at LucasArts, it was, you know, work on this for a little bit, work on that for a little bit, or a few months here, a few months there. But this was like from soup to nuts. And uh, he was one of my favorite parts of that experience. Incredible, incredible experience. I Uh, wish they'd make another one of those. I know. I know. Actually, we just, uh, Sam and I just did it. He has a Twitch stream. Yeah. Sam, Sam's Twitch stream. We just did. I just told this whole story on that Twitch stream. Um, but if you're interested, you can go to uh, twitch.tv and check out Sam Wetworth's profile. He did a, he did a, a Republic Commando live stream. We got through like the first third and we talked about a lot of this stuff. Um, that was one of the first times I auditioned him for a LucasArts game. But, uh, yeah, to answer your question, to go all the way back, I'm not <laughs> dominant here. Uh, it is very different working on a game a movie, just linear versus nonlinear. When you're working on a game, you have most of the time you just have pages and pages of dialogue in a spreadsheet and you're trying to just get as much as you can. Whereas in a movie, you know, everything's about what's on the screen and, and uh, it's just it, it, it's like totally different, except for that it's Star Wars and it helps to know that stuff and, and uh, you know, try and bring that to the script. Um, but yeah, is that so I get the sense I, you know, I, I, I get to, I'm fortunate enough I get to talk to a lot of people who are involved in Star Wars, and very rarely do I encounter somebody that's not as into Star Wars as, as we are. And you're probably deeper on the inside and see that. Um, I mean, is, am I imagining that, or does it seem like everybody's a fan who works on it? I would say almost everybody is. I mean, I think that you know Disney and Lucasfilm are so big that, and there are, there are all kinds of roles. I, I mean, everyone is a fan, I think. But I think that some people are clearly, you know, more hardcore, I suppose. But it doesn't doesn't really matter. I think it just depends on the position. But you know, there are there are, um, you know, there are people who who work on who work at Lucasfilm that that work on a different movie every week. You know, and I think they're fans of a lot of stuff. And yeah, they love Star Wars. But you know, they're they're working on the latest, uh, you know, uh, Oscar winning drama. You know. Um, or if you're at ILM, you're working on all kinds of movies. I'm sure you're a Star Wars fan, but the people that I seem to interface with that are directly involved in Star Wars and are making it are just diehard, hardcore, know a ton of stuff about Star Wars type of people. Um, does that answer your question? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About yeah, it seems like we're everyone's really into it. Um, do you um do you miss the gaming industry? Uh, yeah. I mean, I I'm. I'm still involved in the gaming industry. I, I actually... Uh, oh, that's true. But not like I was. I miss LucasArts. Gotcha. Uh, Who for, doesn't? Yeah, I right? mean, that was like, you know, my coming-of-age decade. I mean, that was where I learned, you know, I learned so much there and had so many friends and uh, worked on so many unforgettable projects, you know. Um, well, the marketplace forgot about a lot of them, but I didn't, you know, because they were just right. you know, really great experiences. But... but um uh, yeah, I mean, I was there. I, I miss it, but uh, I'm working on this uh, this game where I, I wrote the music and I did the sound for this game uh, that is a medical device to treat ADHD and some other things. And right now we're with uh, you know in in uh, clinical trials with the FDA to try and get it cleared as treatment as digital medicine, and that's kind of a new, exciting uh, place you know for for games to go. Do I miss that's excellent? Yeah, it's it's great. It's if anyone's curious, it's a company called Achille Interactive Labs, A K I L I, and they can read about it. But uh, we're working on all kinds of stuff, and you know, there's a board of directors with neuroscientists and MDs and PhDs. I mean, it's 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 uh, you know, all the game developers are here in California, and all the medical side is is out in Boston. But um, that's really exciting. And every once in a while, I get called in to do video games, mostly on the voiceover side. Um, and uh, uh, I love that. But, yeah, I miss, I miss working on the big Star Wars games. I got to work on some Uncharted games and God of War and some things like that at Sony. That was really fun. Um, but it's, it's a lot of work, you know, and I, would, I think I was ready to do some other stuff. So, I like well, and I, I asked because I worked in games for a couple of years at Cartoon Network. Oh, you did? I, yeah. Tell, um, him, tell me about yourself, first of all, because... <laughs> Um, Network as what is at, at what was your what was your job? At that point, I was I started there as an admin assistant, and then I got um, hired into a gaming group that was working on their MMO Fusion Fall. 
and I worked as a, a writer and editor on that for a while, like doing most of the supportive content for like the web presence. But then I would also write like in-game dialogue periodically and kind of the catalogs that people would interface with when they bought items and whatnot. Um, wow. And I so much work and I love the culture of it, Yeah, but I, I, the gaming industry is too volatile for me. Like it just makes me nervous all the time. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I lived through a lot of rounds of layoffs at at Lucas Arts and so yeah. And, uh, it's it's big business, but it's also incredible risk. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. So you 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 went through that? Uh, I did. Our whole team, for the most part. I mean, like ninety percent of us got laid off in one fell swoop, um, which sucked at the time. But now, I mean, of course, in retrospect, I'm very happy. I ended up, you know, in a much better thing. Um, Holly won't admit that now she's a podcast celebrity. You're a podcast celebrity. Well, you're I'm not. Well, no, she's. I mean, so um, her show that she's on, her real show, not this full of Sith stuff, is like the best show. <laughs> it's like the best show on iTunes. Period. And I that, don't don't know that that's accurate, but uh, it's thank the you. only one I listen to. Well, that doesn't make it the superlative best. It does to me, Holly. Stupendous. So uh, everyone should check out stuff you missed in history class. Let me. But can I ask you this though, Holly? Are you able to do the Holy Grail, which is podcast? You don't do podcast full time. Yeah. That is amazing. Uh, well, I mean, that wasn't always the deal. Uh, when So, Stuff You Missed in History class is part of how stuff works. And when I first got hired there, I got hired as an editor, like a copy editor. And then um, my friend Tracy, who was my boss at the time, and I were at a party yapping. And one of the VPs heard us. And the next day, he called us in his office and said, I think you guys have really good chemistry. You should have a podcast. And so... We had one that we launched and then it got sunsetted and then we both moved on to the history podcast. But for a long time, we were doing both and it was exhausting because our history podcast is a lot of research every week. You know, it's two episodes a week. It's, you know, 20 to 24 hours of research and writing on each one. And um, then we both had like editorial loads and Tracy was managing the website and we were going a little bit insane. So just in the last year they finally moved us over exclusively to podcasting so we wouldn't cry every day oh my gosh that's amazing that's amazing that you get to do it full time i'm your your whole uh audience is going what a noob (laughs) no 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 uh incredible and uh, tell me about your research because you know i uh i did you know i've been doing a music podcast now for a few years and it is a ton of work do you have do you ever feel like you have enough time no yeah, right? So tell me about Never. Uh So it's one of those things, right? Because first of all, I crack up constantly. Like everybody that will, we often will get emails or, you know, people will interact with us on social media and they'll say, oh, your research team needs to do blah, blah, bloop. And I'm like, we just laugh and laugh and laugh. Like that's a good 20 minute gut buster for us because it's just the two of us. You know, researching and writing everything. Um, So because ours is history, the research tends to be like a lot of um, a lot of JSTOR and like, you know, actual library books. I know it's crazy. They still exist. Um, Yeah, it's a lot of book work. Like right now, I was complaining to one of my coworkers today that my book bag is like 40 pounds because I'm carrying around like seven books just to kind of prep for the next two episodes. But do you remember when you had all those books in your book bag as a kid and you'd run and your book bag would go like left, right, left, right, left, right, left, right? Cause you had yes. <laughs> That's the image I picture, uh, you know, it, seven books in your book bag. Yeah, it's a lot slower now. I'm more at a saunter than a run. <laughs> <laughs> Are we all? Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, it's, I, I, I absolutely have to check it out. I, um, I love I love geeking out about stuff. I I listen to a lot of like music appreciation podcasts and like yeah. you know when Beethoven moved from Bonn to whatever you know it, it and I just sit there and go ooh this is so great I love that kind of history stuff but it is exhaustively researched and I always just feel like man you can never know enough before you get on the microphone w- clearly I'm no. asking you about your career right now in front of your audience <laughs> so uh, talking. 
I can loop this back to Star Wars a little bit. Um, as far as music goes, you're you're sort of like the name in, in Star Wars music analysis. And I'm, I've got this really esoteric question that I'm not even sure if it, it's going to make sense. Um, but it ties into all of your sort of professional tick marks, right? When they're extending John Williams' music for video games, yeah, what's the difficulty in that? And as you're listening to it, if you're playing or you're listening to those tracks, what is it you're listening for uh, what, to see if they're doing it right? Um, is that, does that make sense? Like it's, that's, it does. It does. Uh, it, it does make sense. And it's a huge challenge. I would say the biggest thing that you always have to avoid is listener fatigue That is the number one thing you have to avoid. And that means that you're going to hear the same stuff over and over again, because when you start looking at the, at the, the Star Wars scores and it's, it's different now, but I'll, I'll talk about LucasArts. Uh, by the way, sidebar, the person you should really talk to about this is Jesse Harlan because he was the master John Williams editor uh, for years and years. There were a few that were really, you know, that did it a lot. He did it the most while I was there. And, um, you know, we would talk about it a lot. And, you know, one of the things that he would say a lot, which is so true, is you can't just cut in. You can't just cut in, um, you know, Yoda's theme. You can't just cut in all these things. You know, you have to cut in like the weird esoteric action moments where it feels like Star Wars. You know it's from Star Wars, but it's not necessarily beating you over the head with really strong character themes that are inappropriate for what's going on. Um, back when there were only three movies worth of soundtracks to do and those games were coming out, you know, that's all they had. So, of course, you hear that all the time. But once we had the prequels and we started getting some budget to record other stuff with you know, original music, then we really tried to avoid that. You know, I think Force Unleashed and Republic Commando are great examples of that. And then in the case of, you know, the Old Republic or even Knights of the Old Republic, I mean, they didn't want to use any of it. Um, so it got to the point where, you know, they were writing all original scores because it was just so overused. I mean, I, we heard Duel of the Fates. I made so many Phantom Menace games. Um, <laughs> not the Phantom Menace movie game, but, you know, so many games that had, uh, you know, all those Phantom Menace cues in it. Um, Obi-Wan and Starfighter and, you know... Um, all those games. And Jedi Power Battles. Jedi Power Battles. I remember uh, work. You know, testing out the Dreamcast version of that it was one of the first weeks at LucasArts because it had just come out right before I came came on board. But oh, Jedi Power Battles! So you've been through Phantom Menace a lot. What's your favorite Phantom Menace cue? Oh wow! Um, there's so many great ones. I mean. Uh, Boy, well, I mean, the obvious one is uh, is of course, Duel of Fates is great, but I think people really overlook Anakin's theme because it's so crazy and complex, and the whole thing is just filled with kind of you know he's taking such poetic license with you know really weird chromatic melodies and kind of reverse engineering the Imperial March that it's kind of hard to follow. But when you really look at what he's doing, it's just I feel like he just was kind of. Uh, writing things in reverse, and it's very kind of academic in a way, um, but it's really fascinating. You know, you kind of kind of follow the story of Anakin through it, and um, I love that one. I love all the flag parade stuff. I think is so good, straight out of Ben Hur. Uh, yeah. Love the uh, uh, I love uh, the the odd time meter stuff. You know, you know the whole escape from Naboo stuff. I mean, there's just there's so many great tracks in there. And, of course, all the, um, the crazy drums and the whispering choir and going on about this. I mean, I feel like the only reason I'm, I'm uh, associated with Star Wars music analysis is because no one's really done it yet. Um, and, but it is a lot of, you know, just like you would know, Holly, it's a lot of research. And, and uh, I still go back and learn more and more and more all the time. Uh, but The Phantom Menace, I feel like, is also the, the last movie since Force Awakens where he really got to do the whole movie. You know, he really got to score a movie from beginning to end um, because I feel like Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith weren't quite far along enough when John Williams got to record, which is why you hear movie, music from other movies edited into it. But The Phantom Menace, before The Force Awakens, was really, you know, I feel like the last complete work by John Williams in the Star Wars universe. Is, really. that, is it exciting to you? Like, is it good news then that we're hearing that he's already recording The Last Jedi score? I think it's really interesting what he's going to do. I, you know, the fact that they're like, 
um, they're starting to they're starting to get an idea of what what they want a scene to be, and they want John Williams to record first. That's really exciting. Um, do you know that story about E.T.? You familiar with this story? Uh, which which story? I'm familiar with a lot of E.T. stories. That movie's so good, and the score is even better. Oh, E.T. Do you E.T. Bro? Uh, <laughs> Uh, sorry. Yeah, let me be more specific. <laughs> so he wrote this brilliant ending to E.T. and he just, no matter how many takes he did, he couldn't get the orchestra to finish the this great music that he wrote at the very end by the time they got to the end of Spielberg's cut. And Spielberg finally said, you know what? Shut off the projector and just have everyone play this NQ with, the, you know, just have them play their heart out and I will recut this last reel to this, to your, your, your favorite take. And that's what he did. He let John Williams just do, you know, what he wrote at the end. Um, Because that movie is just, it's an opera. It is a silent movie, just like Star Wars. I mean, the the music is just nonstop and glorious. And and sure enough, you know, the end of the movie is cut perfectly to the music. And this might be an opportunity for that. Um, I know with Tron Legacy, you know, uh, they they had a lot of those tracks before the movie was even shot. I mean, they were talking about music so early. So it does happen now and again. Um, so this might make for a really beautiful uh, synergy on the screen. I'm actually I'm really excited about it. As long as he gets to go in at the end as well, I think we're all set. I think one of my biggest regrets is when the Olympics was here in Salt Lake City, John Williams did an orchestral version of E.T. Uh, set to the movie, and I missed it. And I uh, I just didn't have the money at the time, and everyone and their cousin was in town for the Olympics. And... Uh, I like I don't even think I could have afforded it today because it was a really like every celebrity that was in town for the Olympics was trying to get tickets but uh I should have tried harder. I've never been to one of those live movies with a live orchestra thing before. I saw Star Wars in concert but have either of you been to one of those? Cuz they look amazing. Star Wars in concert's the closest I've been to it. I haven't with a full orchestra. I have seen uh, here at the Fox Theater in Atlanta. Uh, they have a really amazing. Been to shows where he has played through the shows, but it is not the same thing at all, of course. Mm. And that's quite lovely, but it's not the same as an orchestra by any stretch. I love that they did Back to the Future recently with a with an orchestra, and that started touring. But what I really wanted was Back to the Future. I wanted an orchestra on one stage and then Huey Lewis in the News on another stage because <laughs> I feel like it's still full experience. But, yeah. oh, well, um, I think we've probably talked your ear off and, and I want to thank you for, for coming on the show. Um, this has been a delight and I can't believe an hour has passed by already um, at all. Pretty sure I talked to your guys ear off, and I apologize. I, I no. just knows I walked in a little late because I was finishing up a meeting, and so I my adrenaline has been like. Blah, 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 blah. So I apologize. No, it's fine. I we we're more than happy to have you, whether you're late or on time or whenever you'd like to come on. Um, and uh, for listeners, where can people find you, and and how would you like them to to spot you online? Sure. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm on Twitter. It's probably the easiest way. And Instagram, although I don't post as much on Instagram, at David W. Collins. Um, I have a couple things you know, that are out. Obviously, go buy Rogue One on Blu-ray or digital or DVD when it comes out. But um, uh, for any of you who are Voltron fans, uh, Season 2 was released in January. I play Commander Morvok in Episode 6. That came out. Um, I've got a couple, a couple things coming out this year. Um, if you're an anime fan, I, I did an episode of One Punch Man that was released recently. Nice. As Spring Mustachio. And, uh, and then, uh, I did a series called, uh, Erased, um, that I think is only out on Blu-ray right now. I keep waiting for the English dub to get released, but I've done a few things here and there. Um, you can look for that stuff and then I'll just be tweeting up a storm next month at Celebration. Are you guys both going to be there? Yes. Yep. Oh, good. You going to do any podcasting while you're there? Um, I mean, we're going to independently of anything anyway, but, uh, they, I don't think they've released the podcast stage schedule yet. Yeah. Um, but, uh, Mary, Mary knows that we want to do a show and, uh, uh, I would love, I would love to do another show. I think we were the, we were one of the first podcasts that did one, 
uh, at the last one, and we did one uh, at Europe as well. Although it's always been a, a mishmash of hosts in Europe, it was Holly and I, or uh, Amy and I, um, and then yeah, no, it'll be fun. What is there anything you could tell us you're most looking forward to uh, hosting at Celebration? Yeah, um, can I tell you any of that stuff? Let's. See. <laughs> through my I should go to the Star Wars celebration website and see what's been announced but I can tell you that we're we're I mean in the middle of all the panel scheduling right now and and uh, um, you know there's there's some really cool stuff um, I can tell you what I'm I, I mean I'm not hosting the last Jedi you know? yeah uh, but uh, but I'm really looking forward to seeing that and um, you know, I, I know that, uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff coming you know, rebels and, and, uh, it's the 40th anniversary, obviously. So there's a lot of great stuff. Um, I've been, um, I've been talking to Lucasfilm, uh, on a weekly basis and, you know, we've been back and forth about, about stuff as it's still coming together. So believe it or not, yeah, the schedule is still getting pieced together, um, because it is like a big, uh, jigsaw puzzle, you know, with, uh, everyone's schedules and, and, uh, all the different pieces. So, um, Probably more soon. Sorry, that was a, that was such a classic non-answer. No, no, it's fine. I'm, I mean, I've interviewed Dave Filoni a, a number of times. I'm really good at getting the non-answers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, that guy's the master of the non-answer. Like, he's gotten so much better at it over the years, too. Well, let me tell you, so just to close out, my, when I knew, knew that Dave Filoni was something really, really special, uh, was he was with his producer, Catherine Winter, at the time, and he was like, you know, uh, someone in the audience asked a question and he said, Catherine, can I answer this? It was about, I remember the question was, it's like, well, you mentioned Plo Koon. Are we going to get, get to see any other members of the Jedi council in your show? And Catherine Winter's like, you can't answer that. And he goes, well, uh, you know, I just spent all this time. I can't tell you that. Catherine says, I can't tell you that. So, but I just spent all this time talking about Plo Koon and how much I loved him. He was such a minor character and how much I have a thing for minor characters. So, uh, I'm not allowed to answer that question, but in not answering it, I, I think I just answered it. He said something like that. He pulled some mind <laughs> our audience. And it was like, whoa. He basically was like, of course you are, you know. But he, he found this way of wording it where he didn't have to say it, but just said, well, I can't tell you the answers for, but I can tell you that here's two and here's two. And look, it's painted on the wall over there. You know, like it's basically what he did. And I was like, God, this guy's good. He's really good. Um, and until the audience started throwing children at him. What happens to a soap? Yeah, that's, that's one of my favorite things is having kids go up and ask him questions. It still works, too. Like, that never fails. <laughs> yeah. That's Kryptonite. It. It's just the best. Anyway, yeah, I hope I get to do a panel with Dave. I, don't, did I, I did one last year. I, did, I think I did. Uh, oh, it's, it's starting to blur together. This is a sign of. This is a bad <laughs> sign of age. But I can't remember when I did a panel with Dave last. Was it London or Anaheim? I think I did one in London. I just don't remember. Maybe. I don't know. You got to do that cool panel in London where Gareth Edwards showed up as a stormtrooper. Yes. Yes. Which, by the way, I knew he was in that costume. They told me ahead of time. And the thing was running long. And I just remember him. St- like he got, and he got there early. And he was standing next to uh, Kaylee Walters, you know, marketing at, uh, at Lucasfilm. And I'm like, I can't, I don't want to interview and, and offend these guys. I mean, these are the Force Awakens, you know, creatures and costume guys. I'm not going to cut them off, you know. But Gareth Edwards got there early and he was standing there and he was like, oh, he must be sweating in that thing. And he always <laughs> had to stand there in costume for a good 20, 25 minutes before I was finally able to go, yeah, questions. And I, and I wasn't supposed to have him do the first one, I don't think. But he was a really good sport. But when, if you watch the footage, when he takes that Stormtrooper helmet off, he is sweating. Yeah. I was actually like I was sitting next to him. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was. I was doing the the live blog for StarWars.com of that panel, and I'm like, "There's a guy who just showed up with a handler to ask a question in a stormtrooper outfit. I better have my phone ready. This is uh, this is going to be somebody." It was that subtle? Was it? Yeah, yeah. But it was. <laughs> yeah, and he pulled that that helmet off, and he was just pouring sweat. Yeah, 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 yeah. And afterwards, I was like, "It was. I'm so sorry." <laughs> I just didn't feel like I could cut those guys off, you know. Um, we had, and it was one of those panels where you had like nine people on stage, which is always kind of a yeah, a, yeah. Um, I really did like the panel too of of the Lucasfilm leadership last year. Um, mm-hmm. 
that was a, I thought that panel was cool. I really liked the videos that they showed, and I felt like everyone really spoke from the heart. Let's kind of go back to your earlier question of, are they all super mega fans? And you watch that video, and it was like, yeah. I mean, they're, and you listen to them talk, and they're all just so passionate about their disciplines. And that's really inspiring. And I think it showed up on the screen in Rogue One, honestly. I think that's why I like that movie so much. You could see, you know, hey, this is our, this is our sophomore effort as the new Lucasfilm, and check this out and all the power of story group and all the power of, of this, you know, movie production machine. And it just, it just worked, you know, it was just glorious. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I can't say anything better than that. Holly, where can people find you? Oh, you know, the usual places. Uh, I am on Twitter is at Surliest Girl and you can find that pesky day job podcast at mistinhistory.com where you can, get connected with all of our social media and then i uh host a fake history show with you yeah that's a lot of fun if you want to check that out it's called Fothentic history and we basically give the real history treatment to nerdy stuff um what's our ne- our next episode is uh on mother mother talzin yes yes and uh we're doing a live show of Fothentic history and full of Sith at uh, Solid Comic Con's Fanex uh, next week, yeah. actually. So come by and see us there. Yeah, um, we will also have a little Mist in History action there. Yeah, they they can't get away from us. <laughs> um, you on Twitter? By the way, Mist in History. So uh, I think Yay. that's the normal thing. I met Mike. Mike usually uh, does all the wrap up, but I'll just say. Uh, you know, the usual, if you want to leave us a voicemail, we'll get it. You can go to the website. It's fullofsith.com. Review us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else you'd like to get your podcasts. And uh, for David Collins, for Holly Fry, for Mike Pilot, who couldn't be here, I'm Brian Young. And the Force will be with you always. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.